welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Morning, church. It's a blessing to be with you. If you would, please turn with me to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. So if you think back with me, Genesis 37 opened the story of Joseph and his brothers within the attempted murder of Joseph. So that's how this story opens about Joseph and his brothers. It's really the final story of the book of Genesis. It's going to take 13, 14 chapters of of this book. So it's a big part of the story, but that's how it begins. In 37, Joseph's attempted murder by his older brothers. Then chapter 38 told the story of Judah and Tamar and how the mercy and grace of God can extend to the least deserving sinners. Praise the Lord for that. That is my hope, that his grace and mercy extends to the least deserving sinner. And now in chapter 39, we're given a picture of what it looks like when the Lord is with you. Yes, this chapter is going to be about slavery, sexual temptation, faithfulness, and imprisonment, all jammed into one chapter. And we will look at each one of these. But ten times in this one chapter, the Lord is said to be with Joseph, saying things like he's giving him success, he's blessing him, he's giving him favor, this idea that God has not forsaken Joseph. And what we will begin to see is that one of the most important Questions in life is the question, is the Lord with you? Is the Lord with you? If you can, could humbly yet confidently say, the Lord is with me, then can you imagine the confidence and courage that would bring to a Christian soul? Think about it just for a second. If you lived every moment of every day with the full assurance that the Lord is with you, then wouldn't fear have a way of just fleeing from you? Wouldn't temptation to sin have less of a hold on you? Wouldn't your suffering prove more meaningful? After all, if the Lord is with you while you are suffering then surely He is bringing the suffering into your life for a good purpose. So with this in mind, this question is the Lord with you. Let's let's go to the Lord in prayer as we attempt to understand what it means for the Lord to be with someone and whether or not we can claim that the Lord is with us. So let's, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we love you. We, we recognize and we proclaim freely, willingly, that we are in great need of you. We need you to be with us, to strengthen us, to forgive us our daily faults. We need you to, to grow us into something that looks more like Jesus and less like us. Because if we go through this life unchanged by the gospel, by the good news, and by the the Spirit's working, if that does not happen in us, then we have no hope of living with you forever and eternity in your eternal rest. Lord, you are our hope and our confidence, and I pray that as we 
as we humbly come before your word this morning, that you would reveal your truth to us and that you would plant it deep in our souls and that you would change us from the inside out so that as we go out of here, we will be filled with joy and hope, not in how how able we are to complete and to keep your commandments. No, that we would have hope and joy and confidence in God, our Savior, who is able to take the least deserving sinners and turn them into images of Christ. That is our confidence, that is our hope, and we ask that you would do that through Genesis 39 this morning. We love you. Amen. So let's go to Genesis 39, verses 1. We're going to read through verse 6 to begin with. As we look at this idea that the Lord was with Joseph, this is going to be an example to us of how the Lord was with Joseph, beginning in verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and he had, and, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Until there. If you stop and think about it, the phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, doesn't actually make a lot of sense following verse 1. So it's easy to just read and be like, yeah, the Lord says wonderful things happening to Joseph. But if, you're, if we remind ourselves that in verse 1, verse 1 reminds us that Joseph is a 17-year-old boy who's been sold by his brothers into slavery. He is then dragged down to Egypt and put on a slave block, probably without any clothes on, standing in front of a crowd of landowners who then make bids for him. And then he becomes the legal property, like, like cattle, of an Egyptian master who puts him to work around his estate. His freedom, his family, and his dignity have all been stripped away from him in a moment. And I can't help but imagine that Joseph's wondering why the Lord has forsaken him. But then comes verse 2, which says, The Lord was with Joseph. So does this mean that the Lord only showed up on the scene in verse 2? Should we, should we assume that God wasn't paying attention or wasn't with Joseph when his freedom, family, and dignity were all stripped away in a day? Is that what we should assume? That God just now comes onto the scene, and that's why Joseph starts having success. May I suggest to you that the Lord was with Joseph as he was thrown into the pit by his brothers. And as he was dragged down to Egypt and when he was being auctioned off like cattle. Why do I believe that? Why do I believe that the Lord was with him then as well? Well, primarily I believe it because that's how the Bible speaks about how God's, const- about God's constant seeing to all things 
for his glory and for the good of his people. That's how the entire Bible speaks about our God. That he is seen to all things for his glory and for the good of his people. But even more specific than that general principle taught throughout Scripture, Psalm 105 tells us that God sent Joseph down to Egypt to be sold as a slave. It tells us that God sent him down to Egypt. And it wasn't to to punish Joseph. It's not like God is saying, Joseph, you are a spoiled brat and I'm punishing you for these dreams you told your brother. No. Instead, it was for the glory of God for the good of his people. Even though circumstances didn't show it, and Joseph most likely didn't feel it at the time, the Lord was still with Joseph in his descent into slavery and, as we read, in his ascent in Potiphar's household. We're told that the Lord then visibly intervenes while Joseph was in Potiphar's house and Joseph becomes successful. It's like everything he touches turns to gold. And if I can be honest with you, when I read this as a child, I was like, I want to be just like Joseph. I want everything I touch just to be successful and just to flourish and just everyone to be able to see, wow, the Lord's with Daniel. Everything he touches, it it just succeeds. In fact, in this story, it is so obvious that even a pagan man, his his Egyptian master recognizes that Joseph has divine favor upon him. So, So Potiphar, Joseph's master, gradually puts Joseph in charge of everything in his estate because Potiphar recognizes that the more things Joseph touches, the more prosperous Potiphar is going to become. That's why he does this. Now, some take this passage about Joseph, and they would have you believe that if the Lord is with you, then everything you touch should turn to gold. That is a very, very common and popular message in Christianity today, is that if the Lord is with you, then everything you touch should turn to gold as well. It is the same idea we sometimes have in our own heads that if I can just get God on my side or if I am just good enough, then I will get everything I want out of life. We all have that idea kind of swimming around in the back of our heads to some extent. It's human. But this health, wealth, and prosperity message is a half-baked message at best. And at worst, it leads people to reject true Christianity. It leads people to reject true discipleship of Christ. Remember, God was also with Joseph when he was betrayed and enslaved. And all this success, just think about this for a second, all this success that Joseph was having and the blessing that God is giving Joseph in his work is not benefiting Joseph so much as it's benefiting his slave-owning master's bank account. That's who it's really benefiting. Yes, Joseph's life is getting somewhat better. I'd rather be a manager as a slave than the one who cleans toilets all day. Yes, His life was getting better, but truly it's benefiting his oppressor 
the one who bought him as a slave. The Lord was with Joseph, but it wasn't so that Joseph would be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. If that was God's primary goal for being with Joseph, then why is Joseph a slave making someone else wealthy? If that was God's purpose, then why is Joseph a slave in someone else's estate? No, I think we can confidently say that God has, has something else as his primary goal in this story. And whatever visible success and blessing or position that Joseph is given is primarily for the sake of, some, of accomplishing some other goal. It's not for the sake of simply getting Joseph a cushy job where his freedom, family, and dignity will all be restored. Something else is going on here. So what we've seen so far is that the Lord was with Joseph, which in Joseph's life, in this true life story, meant that Joseph was betrayed, enslaved, humiliated. But then he finds success, trust, and position now, this was all for reasons unknown to Joseph. And from his perspective, this could have all just been completely random. We haven't heard a word out of Joseph since his enslavement. We can imagine that he has wrestled with the feelings of being abandoned by God, of wondering whether or not the stories that his grandfather and father told him about El Shaddai, this God Almighty, whether or not these stories were even true, whether or not this God even exists. I mean, we can imagine he may have struggled through these doubts. But all we really know is that is that he has worked hard for his human master. That's all we know so far in the story. And only in the next verses do we find out whether or not Joseph has remained faithful to God through both suffering and success. Get that. See that real quick. God was with him through suffering and success. And the question is, has Joseph remained faithful through both? Sometimes we think it's the hardest to remain faithful through, through suffering But for many people, the time they reject God and walk away from God is when they're having success in life. When they're like, I don't really need God. So both are times where the follower of Christ must remain faithful to their God. So let's look next at verse, the second part of verse 6 in Genesis 39 to look at how how whether or not Joseph remained faithful. Verse 6, the second part. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then? Can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. 
And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. She's talking about her husband, Potiphar. He, Potiphar, has brought a, a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and I cried out, and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the, prisoner, the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Until there, in this section of the story, the author is completely silent about what God is doing. Instead of, and instead is focusing on Joseph's faithfulness, though he was tempted and falsely accused. And God is so kind to tell us stories like this one. Where God seems completely absent while the devil attacks and lives are being destroyed. This is the kindness of God to just tell us the story where he is silent, apparently not active, apparently not there, apparently absent. That's what it feels like. That's what it looks like. This is the kindness of God that we just sit with this for a second and realize this is where we are at. Here's Joseph. He's just trying to make the best out of a terrible situation of his, of his enslavement. He's trying to be faithful to his Egyptian master, finding just a little success and recognition when temptation to sin comes crashing into his life. Joseph faces all three of the foundational temptations to sin that we later have listed in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 through 17 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. So it's just this summarizing statement. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life. These three things is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The word desire here describes an intense craving. A thing we feel we must have to be happy or also called lust. And Joseph is being tempted to lust after all three of these things. The desire of the flesh to be sexually to, to sexually be with a woman outside of the marriage covenant. The desires of the eyes. To fill his eyes with her physical seduction and then to enjoy her in his mind later. And his pride of life. To be able to boast that another man's wife found him more attractive. And to be able to gain even more influence over this Egyptian household. Think about it. Potiphar may have owned Joseph, but Joseph could have owned his wife's affection. He could have owned Potiphar's wife's affection. The temptation for Joseph was strong, in his face, and constant. 
Not only that, the temptation could have been easily committed and easily hidden. This was a severe temptation. Don't think that Joseph's like, oh, I'm not really attracted to women. That's not the point of this passage. The point is that this temptation was severe. It is clear in Scripture that it isn't a sin to be tempted. Temptation is the suggestion of a godless solution. So it's the, the, the luring and enticement of a godless solution. James, that's what James calls it. James calls it being lured and enticed by your own desire. We all have desires, but none of them will be fully satisfied in this life. Please understand that many people have not realized this yet, that every desire we have, every desire, not a single one of them will be fully satisfied in this life. They might, you might experience a moment of satisfaction, and it might be a lifetime of momentary satisfactions and, and gifts from God, things that, that He does give us, good gifts. But none of our desires will be fully satisfied in our souls in this life. It just cannot. At every turn, the Christian is required to submit these unfulfilled desires to God in the hope that God will one day fully satisfy us in His eternal rest. This is a repeated theme throughout Scripture is that yes, God gives many good things. And yes, even sin is satisfying for a moment. But only God can fully satisfy the desires the longs, longings, the hopes of our heart. And temptation, temptation offers a godless and often immediate solution. A solution to our unfulfilled desires. So we are all walking around this life with unfulfilled desires. And the Christian life is one of, of trusting in God to fulfill those desires, to, to give us strength for this life, and to one day fully satisfy. But temptation is the offer of satisfaction now, without God. It's, the, it's right there in front of you, with no waiting, no rules, no self-control necessary. That's the, the allurement of temptation. And ultimately sin is committed in our lives the moment we step toward the godless solution suggest, suggested to us. Sometimes it's suggested from outside like in our story today. Other times it's just our own soul coming up with all kinds of godless suggestions to our out-of-control desires. But in our story, Joseph didn't step toward the godless solution suggested to him. Instead, when Potiphar's wife attempts to lure and entice him through his own unfulfilled desires. That's the thing. He's a teenager, maybe 20. He doesn't have a wife. It doesn't even seem like he's been given the option of having a wife at this point. He's a slave and his only purpose is to serve his master, not to fulfill his desires. He has unfulfilled desires in this area of his life. And Potiphar's wife is luring and enticing him through his unfulfilled desires. That's the point. But when 
Potiphar's wife does this, this is what Joseph says. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so we find out after several years of slavery that Joseph has remained faithful to the God of his fathers. How is this possible? Why didn't Joseph hit the eject button on God the moment his life imploded? Humanly speaking, there was little to no evidence that God had done anything for Joseph up until this point. If you were in his situation, filled with unfulfilled desires, just thinking about everything you don't have in life and how life had just just bulldozed you over and that everything was going against you, if that was your mind frame, then you would have pressed the eject button on God a long time ago because up until this point, there would have been no evidence, no evidence in your mind of God being with you, of God being faithful. In fact, what we see is that when Joseph was faithful, when Joseph was obedient to his father, faithful to his father, wanting to be an honorable son, that that is exactly what got him in trouble in the first place. It was his love for God and others that, that ended him up in slavery. So why remain faithful and obedient to God when all alone in Egypt? No one would have seen his sin, none of his family members. Maybe God is just the God of of Canaan. Maybe he's not the God of Egypt. Why not just go with the flow in Egypt? There's only one reason why anyone remains faithful through great suffering. There's only one reason, and that is because of faith. Hebrews 11 tells us all about those who lived and suffered and died in this life, yet who remain faithful. And it was all possible because of faith. Faith that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Faith that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. That's a Hebrews 11. That's the point of that. Faith that the Lord was with them. These heroes of the faith that we have listed who lived, suffered, and died. Faith that the Lord was with them is what held them. That He does exist. That He does see. He does hear. And He will reward His faithful ones in the end with eternal rest. With this full satisfaction. This is why Joseph remained faithful through slavery and temptation because he believed the Lord was with him in Egypt, that the Lord saw all things, that the Lord knew his suffering and that the Lord would one day reward his faithfulness. We see this reality in his answer to Potiphar's wife because Joseph points to the sin guilt he would incur before God if he slept with another man's wife. That's what he points to as the primary reason why he is rejecting this temptation because it would be a sin against God. Joseph believed that God was right there with him in Egypt. Yes, he was disposed of by his family and mistreated by others, but the Lord his God was with him and had not forsaken him. That had to be his faith, his hope, his confidence. So with this unwavering conviction, Joseph answers Potiphar's wife saying, How could I sin against God? And we can add in our minds, 
because God is right here with me. He sees, he knows, he's with me, he's, he, is, he loves me. He wants what's best for me, even though it doesn't feel like it, and I can't see how right now. How can I sin against my God who's here with me? Brothers and sisters, there are many helpful and wise things we can do to avoid temptation and to guard ourselves from sinning against God. Please understand me. There, it is wise to guard against sin and to avoid temptation entirely if you can. Like Things like, like internet filters and never being alone with another man's wife and, and healthy accountability. Brothers and sisters who, who you can speak honestly and frankly with about anything under the sun and they will call you to account to follow the Lord. These are good things. But when temptation jumps out from behind the curtains and grabs you by the collar, then I suggest that the predetermined conviction... The predetermined conviction that the Lord is with you will give you a sober mind to escape the temptation. A sober mind to escape the temptation. Think about it. We all, all of us, have had moments where we've been drunk with desire. When we forgot about our God who exists and who rewards That's when we're most likely to give in to temptation, when we are drunk with the desires and not filled with thoughts about our God who is with us. Our thinking becomes confused and muddled and we begin to think that Potiphar's wife really is the solution to my unfulfilled desires. How can a young man or woman possibly keep their lives pure when their unfulfilled desires threaten to intoxicate their thinking. How? The psalmist tells us in Psalm 119, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. That's a key part of this of this paragraph. Let me not wander from your commandments. It's saying, Lord, I'm seeking you. Don't let me fall away. Hold me by your power. I'm seeking you. Hold me. It is both. Verse 11, Psalm 119. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've stored up your word in my heart. If you would have any hope of living a faithful life before God, not a perfect life, none of us here can claim that. But if you would have hope of living a faithful life before God, then you must know and believe in your heart what God says about what brings eternal, lasting satisfaction. We must know it, believe it, and we must live it. Because if you know the truth and believe the truth and have predetermined to obey the truth, then when Potiphar's wife jumps from out out from behind the curtains, you will not become drunk with desire. In that moment when temptation has grabbed hold of you, it's grabbed you. It doesn't want to let go. And part of you doesn't want it to let go. Part of my soul relishes and enjoys the temptation But it is this knowing and believing and predetermining to obey the truth 
that will save you from the temptation in that moment. And you will not become drunk with desire in that moment. Instead, you will escape the temptation with the grace that God provides. 1 Corinthians 10.13 gives us that promise. There, Paul says, God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. For Joseph, the way of escape was literally to run out the door, to get out of the house. And this was not cowardice. Some people would say, like, well, you know, he should have stood there while she's grabbing him. And she should have witnessed to him. I mean, he should, have, he should have witnessed to her and just, you know, given her a sermon about the lust of the flesh. And, you know, you should really love God and said, instead, no, no. This was courage. God, because God commands us to flee from sexual immorality. Run from it before the false offer of abundant satisfaction intoxicates your mind and defiles you, body and soul. Run from it. Flee from it. Joseph does run. But this final rejection was too much for Potiphar's wife. And she screams in her her humiliation. Her physical desires have been denied. Her pride is now crushed after these multiple, multiple, multiple attempts. And now she lusts for revenge. Now that's what she wants. She wants revenge on this young man who's rejected her. And once again, we see that Joseph's faithfulness to both God and man is the catalyst for his suffering. His obedience and faithfulness are the catalyst. It's what kicks the rock down the hill and gets it rolling for suffering. Remember when Jacob, Joseph's father, instructed him to find his brothers back in Genesis 37? Joseph responds with, here I am. I'll go, dad. I'll be happy to go. And when Joseph can't find his brothers in Shechem, he doesn't turn around home and be like, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm about out of food, I'm just going to go home. No, he goes twice the distance further north, all the way up to Dothan, much further than Jacob intended. And what we saw was that Jacob's faithfulness created the opportunity for his brothers to commit evil deeds against him. He got so far away from his father that they got bold in their hate. And the revenge, they finally got bold enough to actually act out what they've been imagining. And now again, Joseph's faithfulness to both God and Potiphar set the stage for false accusation and imprisonment. Joseph is accused and convicted of being a rapist. But the Lord was still with Joseph. Let's keep reading and see how the Lord was still with Joseph. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. I think we see the theme of chapter 39. The Lord was with 
Joseph. And he didn't just come and go. No, the Lord was with him. But here he is in prison, attempting now again to be faithful. And for several years, that's all that happens. That's all that happens. I think he's in prison. He's combination of slave and prisoner for a total of 13 years. Yes, the Lord was with Joseph, but the Lord has taken the favorite son of Israel by the hand and he has led him into slavery and imprisonment in Egypt. That is what's going on here. And Joseph has no idea why, just like us. He's not sitting here reading ahead in the story. He's not. He has no idea why this is happening to him. All he knows by faith is that God exists and that God rewards those who seek him. That's all Joseph knows at this point. All of us experience this kind of battle of the soul where God seems far off and remote. And we wonder if maybe God doesn't really exist. I have had those thoughts come into my mind as a Christian. Does he really exist? It's easy to fall into doubt when either trapped by sin, when we're in the midst of this struggle with sin and maybe we're failing terribly, we may wonder, does God really exist? And then other times we have these thoughts when our faithful faithfulness to God brings suffering. Does he really ex- exist? Would God really allow me to suffer for faithfulness? But we have been given God's word, the truth, So that we can know the truth, believe the truth, and take courage in the truth that the Lord was with Joseph even as he was led into slavery and imprisonment for the glory of God and for the good of his people. You don't have to take my word for it. Think with me about Psalm 105 verses 16 through 19. It says this, When the Lord summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread... We haven't gotten there yet. That's what's going to happen next in our story coming up in a couple chapters. When the Lord summoned a famine and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, ahead of the family of Israel. God had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. God sent him. He was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron, the language of slavery and imprisonment. Until what he, the Lord, had said would come to pass. Remember the dreams? Until what he, the Lord, had said came to pass. Until then, the word of the Lord tested Joseph. The word of the Lord tested him. What a beautiful passage for the Christian life. The Lord sent him into suffering. He was sold and he was imprisoned and put in a collar of iron. Until what the Lord said 
came to pass. Until the Lord's promises, until the time that the Lord decided it was time to fulfill his promises. Until then, the word of the Lord, his promises, tested Joseph. Though Joseph didn't know it yet, the Lord sent him down to Egypt to humble him, to test him. And to mature him into the kind of man who could be used by God to save sinful people from destruction. That's what's going on here. That's what I believe it means for the Lord to be with you. It means that he is working in you to shape you into a servant he can use. And it means he is working through you to save other sinful people from Destruction. Think about that with me. He is working in you to make you a servant he can use. And he is working through you to save other sinful people from destruction. Isn't that the goal of the Christian life? It's one way of phrasing it at least. To be made into, this, into a servant like Jesus. Someone who lays down their life for others. And isn't that the way how, how we will ultimately be rewarded in God's kingdom? What we will be rewarded for? Faithful service. The Lord was with Joseph, humbling him, testing him, maturing him through suffering and success. The Lord was still with Joseph. But the question still remains. Is the Lord with you? Are you and I permitted to humbly yet confidently proclaim every day with unwavering confidence that the Lord is with me? Are we permitted to say that? Because this is a serious claim and not one to make lightly, especially when you realize that every time the statement is made here about Joseph in Genesis 39, it is actually the phrase Yahweh or Jehovah was with him. You see, some translations capitalize the word Lord so you know it is the Hebrew word Yahweh, the great I am. Yahweh was with him. Should we dare make the claim that Yahweh is with me? Maturing me into his image so I can be his useful servant for the salvation of others. Do we dare make that claim? Remember with me a few weeks back, I showed how the New Testament claims that Jesus is the Lord of glory. That's the New Testament's claim. He is the Lord of glory. The king who leads his people into triumphal entry into the city of God. And I argued that the scriptures point to Jesus as Yahweh in the flesh, which is one of the cornerstone beliefs of the Christian faith, that Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. Well, the same Jesus... After his resurrection from the dead, he gathers his disciples to a remote hill. And just before he ascends into heaven, before he leaves, he makes this broad statement to those standing there. And to every person who would faithfully follow him as the Lord of glory, Jesus says these things to anyone and everyone who would faithfully follow him. We read his words in Matthew 28, 
18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Yahweh is with you. It may not feel like it because of suffering. Or it may not look like it because we are sometimes too drunk with sinful desires to see it. But know for certain that Jesus, the Lord of glory, Yahweh in the flesh, has promised that He will never leave us or forsake us. And He wants us to go out and live faithful lives. Full of hope and joy no matter our circumstances because we truly believe that He is with us. That He has not forsaken us. Some of you sitting here this morning are thinking to yourself, I'm not sure that the Lord is with me. I'd, I'd like to have success. I'd like to be blessed. But I'm not sure I can claim the Lord is with me because I know that I'm not truly following Him the way that we're talking about today from Genesis 39. That I would follow Him through both suffering and success. May I plead to you that although this world has many temptations and many desires that it offers, that says, I can fulfill your desires. I can fully satisfy you. That is the promise of the world. May I, my, may I suggest to you that the scriptures tell us that that is a lie. And it is the very first lie that the devil spoke to Eve. He says that in my way, I can fully satisfy your desires. And that lie continues to this day. It is a lie we are all told every day our lives and the Christian life the faithful Christian life is one of saying no to that temptation to give in to the immediate gratification and instead to believe that God is the only one who satisfied who satisfies and if that we come to if we come to him humbly in repentance of our, of our sins that we have committed already for the times we have believed the lie if we repent of those sins And we proclaim that God is good, He is faithful, faithful, and He will reward those who diligently seek Him. We believe that, we live by faith. God promises that He will do that. He will give you strength now to resist temptation, to have joy and hope now, even though our desires aren't fully satisfied yet. He still will give us joy, hope, confidence. He will even give us happy days. There is such a thing as happy in Jesus. Not happy in my new Ferrari. That's that's not what the Bible promises to make you happy in. It promises to make you happy in Jesus when your heart and mind is focused on Him as the Lord who is with you through this life. And so may I encourage each one this morning, don't leave today without knowing for certain that the Lord is with you because that is, one, that is the greatest question 
that can be asked in this life. Is the Lord with you? Or are you on your own as you pursue the desires of this world? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Would each one this morning have the joy and the privilege of going out of these doors with hope. To live amongst our neighbors with a hope they cannot understand. With joy and happiness in Jesus. Lord, it's, it's sometimes it, it feels so far away. Sometimes when our lives come crashing down around us, these words, these Christian words, joy, happiness, hope, seem so far away. Yet, Lord, would you fill our minds and our hearts, our souls, with the knowledge and with the belief and with faith that the Lord is with us. And, Father, would you transform our lives because of that because our hope is not in our circumstances our hope is in the lord god our savior amen